Today's episode is a very special episode because it's a storybook episode. You'll hear retellings of a fairy tale, a tale of mythology, and finally the ever-wolf-related Peter and the Wolf. In between all that, though, there'll be some songs. First, you just heard Every Time, which is really just... The only word for it is fantastic. Then you'll hear My Baby's an Heiress, and finally Grey Eyes. We'll meet up again after all that stuff. Alright, I'm going to tell you the story of Rumpelstiltskin. It's a lot like Sleeping Beauty in that there is a spinning wheel in the plot. So anyways, there was this dude. Uh, the story isn't about him, though. It's about his daughter. This guy was a very, very poor guy. I think he was a fishmonger. I, I guess he wasn't very good at mongering fish or... Maybe the fish he mongered weren't any good in the first place, but in any case, dude was pretty impoverished is what I'm trying to say. So he really wanted to marry his daughter off to some rich guy and then just sort of mooch off of them. So what he did was he decided to go to Craig. Now, Craig was the town minstrel, and the deal with Craig was that you could go to him, tell him what you wanted him to sing, give him some money, and he'd just cruise around town singing it. So if you had, you know, a spare room you wanted to rent out, or ropes, or twine, or little bits of string you wanted to sell, like if you thought people might like to bundle up things in bags that needed to be tied off somehow, which at the time, of course, was a new thing. Before then, they just sort of pinched bags shut with their fingers. But anyways, uh, so if you had something that you wanted to sell, you'd just pay the minstrel and he'd sing it to everyone. So the fishmonger went to the minstrel with what little money he had and managed to get his daughter's name on Craig's list. And what he told Craig to sing was that his daughter could spin straw into gold. A fishmonger's daughter, not Craig's daughter. I don't know if Craig even had a daughter. So Craig went into town singing this little song. Straw into gold, double you forever, sixteen, able to spend straw into gold, looking for marriage to a wealthy man. I enjoy music and things that are fun, must go to church. By the next day, every man in town who enjoyed having money was clamoring to marry the girl. Her dad picked out the wealthiest one, and they got betrothed and all. So they went to the rich guy's house, and he did what any guy would do after marrying a beautiful woman, and 
locked the girl in a tiny little room at the top of a tall tower with a spinning wheel and wouldn't let her out until she made some gold. So then the girl started flipping out because she had no idea how to spin straw into gold. She just didn't have the knack for it at all. And suddenly, the door bangs open, rudely, and in walks this sh short little guy. What, what one might call a small man. And he opened his little rudimentary mouth and said, What's up? And she said, I don't know how to spin straw into gold. My life's not going very well right now. So he said, Dude, spinning straw into gold is my forte. And she was like, Cool. And he said, I'll do it for you on one condition. You give me your firstborn child. And she said, fuck that. So he said, all right, all right, all right. Look, just next time I go on vacation, water my plants for me while I'm gone. She agreed. So he went to work spinning the straw into gold, all the while telling her which plants she needed to water every day and which plants she could just kind of judge for herself whether they needed water or not. And also, could she check the refrigerator every couple days to make sure the food hasn't gone bad or anything? Because he kind of had a phobia about that, because once food goes bad in the fridge, you can't really get the smell out, and you just have to buy a new fridge. And she's just thinking, I hope this guy never goes on vacation. So eventually he finishes the job and bids her farewell, and she gives the gold to the dude she married, and they get on amicably enough for a while. And uh, then the little guy comes back, and he's telling her he's uh, flying out to the Emerald Coast in Sardegna for a couple weeks. And he pulls out the key to his house, and it's on this keychain shaped like a little fire truck, and there's this little button in it that when you press it, this little LED light comes on, which is helpful for when you're trying to open the door and it's dark out. And she says, look, guy, I... I, I I, I, I really don't want to do this. Can't, can't you find someone else? And he said, all right, I'll let you off the hook if you can guess my name in three days. So she says, is it Jerry? And he says, no. And she says, is it George? And he says, no. And so she starts going through the names of everyone in all her favorite sitcoms and then everyone in her favorite non-sitcom shows and he just sits there shaking his head and when she's done he just gets up and goes I'll come back tomorrow so he does and this time she just gets out a phone book and goes through every name and he just keeps saying no I mean what is with this guy he must have an unlisted number or something so this time when he gets up and leaves she follows him home all covertly like so he goes in the house and she sneaks around the side and peeps through the window and inside he's got his guitar out uh, a nice Gibson and he's playing this little song I'm going on vacation tomorrow and my name is Rumpelstiltskin. And then he started jamming and he wasn't very good. So the girl ran back home and the next day Rumpelstiltskin came back, all arrogant and cocksure, and he says, Well, what's my name? 
and she says, It's Rumpelstiltskin, and he gets really angry at this turn of events, which is understandable. And he just gets so pissed off that he grabs his leg and tears himself in two. Uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not really sure how he did that physically, or how he did it like, um, if it was like hot dog style or hamburger style. But anyways, he he died. Some Sunday morning Until we meet again My baby's an heiress My baby's an heiress My baby's an heiress Of a popular music star She's probably loaded She's probably loaded She's probably loaded Like a something like that. Oh, Grandma and Great Aunt, you had a TV show. It ran in the summer, and I Love Lucy wasn't on. My baby's an heiress. My baby's an heiress. My baby's an heiress, and she told me herself. It might be a secret. It might be a secret It might be a secret But I had to tell someone This song didn't rhyme And that's okay I'm in love with a socialite who won't have to pay I get the feeling that the world is small but then again my town is the richest of them all she's pretty she's neat she's awfully petite She's really cute, she got me hitch. Her ancestors probably made her rich. Okay, so this is a story about the Lapid King's wedding and all the shit that went down. So the king was getting married, and afterwards, like for most weddings, there was a reception where everyone partied up and everything. But being the kind and honorable king that he was, he decided to invite some of the locals, which happened to be centaurs. He says to the centaurs, hey guys, um, I'm having this thing, you know, and I 
thought you'd like to come or something. And sometimes we're all like, oh, I don't try to downplay it, man. I didn't know you'd get in married. And the king was all, oh, you guys, I was just worried. You think I was all laying out, so sticking to one woman. And the sisters were all, no, oh, man, it's cool. We get it. You know, got to settle down sometime. Can't keep up the racy lifestyle or you could get, like, uh, diseases and stuff. So the day of the wedding came, and there was the reception where there was alcohol. <laughs> and the Lapid King knew how the centaurs were pretty intense partiers. So he told them to take it easy and not, like, embarrass him or anything. Because his mom was there, and he didn't want her to think he hung out with the wrong, wrong crowd. Uh, so the centers were all, don't worry about it, man. I mean, we know how to conduct ourselves in the presence of ladies. And the Lapa King says, well, all right. But he's not really reassured anything. So, like, ten minutes later, all hell breaks loose. And the centers are, um, like, pretty smashed already. And they're saying pretty rude things to the ladies and basically everyone. It was pretty awkward, because, actually, because the guests didn't want to be rude to the centaurs, but at the same time, the centaurs were like hitting on everybody's woman, even even the bride, and that didn't fly well with anybody. Uh, then they start like trying to kidnap the women and take them to show them their tree houses of love, where they could make love and be in a tree house. So that's like where the Lapis husbands drew the line. They got out of their chairs and started pounding on the centaurs. I mean, like they started just beating them up as hard as they could. I think someone put on a knife and killed a centaur, just like stabs him in the animal torso. And Apollo was there and he was just like, guys, cool it the fuck down. Seriously, this is a bigger reaction than when my sister Artemis killed a guy when he saw her naked. And he like accidentally saw her. It wasn't like he was creeping on her or being a peeping Tom or anything. He was just walking through the forest and she fucking murdered him right there. And one of the Lapith men turns to him and says, Shut the fuck up, Apollo. You killed Neobid's kids just because she talked smack about your mother. And Apollo's like, You shut the fuck up. Like, I totally did. Because Apollo's a god. And then, like, I think everyone pretty much just died. Like, they all just killed each other. And the Lapith king was all, Shit, man. You guys totally ruined my wedding.
The way this story is told is that the person narrating the story explains how all the characters are associated with musical figures or motives or mottos or any word you want to use. But unlucky for you, I'm the one narrating the story and I don't think it matters all that much. To begin with, there's the big bad wolf. And wolves are never the good guys. And I'd like to see a story where they were where the wolf is the hero who he comes and saves something else. He's played by three French horns. And I guess I guess I will tell you about the instruments. Then there's the oboe, and the oboe represents a duck. And that's all I got. Next is the bird, who's the best character, and he's represented by a flute. And birds are always flutes, or flutes are always birds, or one of those things. There, flute. There's a flute-bird dynamic that exists in all music. Clarinets are cool, and clarinet is what is used to describe a cool cat in this story. Spoiler alert: a cat can also mean a jazz musician. Is this possibly an allegory for something else? No. Then, apparently, somewhere near the end, I guess, there's some hunters in the story for some reason or other, and they're represented by a bunch of drums, and that doesn't make any sense. What do hunters have to do with drums? Probably a lot. Okay, the grandpa is the second best character, and he's represented by a big old bassoon. I like to think of him as Santa, because fiction is a pretty fun way to lie to people. And there's our young little protagonist, Peter, who's represented by a lovely little string quartet. So here we have a young boy named Peter, and his name is extremely inconsequential. He got up in the morning, as most people do, and skipped breakfast and the Sunday morning cartoons to go out into the big green meadow. But I've always imagined this story, as it was told to me when I was younger, to take place in the winter, so we're going to say it's snowing. So remember that, big green meadow and snowing. Despite the cold weather, Peter runs into his best friend, a bird. And remember, he's the best character. And he's way too cool to have migrated or anything like that. Oh no, he doesn't care about the cold at all. His name is Harry, and that's like irony because birds don't have hair. It's like when you meet a really big bodyguard and expect his name to be Lofty, but he's really named Terrence. Anyways, all was quiet. Then Peter's pet duck, Miss Havisham, came out to play too. Peter was dumb enough to leave the gate open, so she wandered out to meet her owner. Naturally, the two birds fought that sort of fight that two young lovers fight when they're only pretending to sincerely despise each other, but you can tell they're going to end up together in the end. You know that sort. It was actually pretty adorable if you knew what was going on. Birds fighting doesn't actually look like birds fighting. I guess he had to be there. Out came Crookshanks the cat, who sucks. She spotted the two birds fighting, and then spotted her empty food bowl from across the snowy but still green meadow. Then she spotted Peter, not making any effort to remember to feed his pet cat. The cat then hatched the brilliant idea to go try and eat the bird, because sometimes a cat brings dead birds to the front of the house, and it's gross, but when a dog does it, it's somehow adorable that he's brought a little disgusting present for the whole family. But the cat was too weak for malnourishment and was ultimately unable to eat anyone. 
It's a good thing, too, because mean old Santa came out to berate Peter for having any fun at all. Also, because he left the gate open, all of his dumb pets were wandering all over the place. He told the kind of scary story about some dangerous animal that grown-ups always use to scare children into being boring, like them. Then he grabbed him by the arm and dragged him inside the smelly house. But wow! And wow for a second time! A third time? Yes! A wolf actually did come out of the woods. Santo was terrified, having never actually seen a wolf before in his long, depressing life. Good thing Peter went back inside, leaving all the animal friends outside to face this magnificent beast. Crookshanks, being a pussy, ran up the tree, and she was pretty much out of the way for most of the rest of the story. Miss Havisham, on the other hand, was dumb enough to not run away from the wolf, so, you know, she was eaten. With her last thought, she probably regretted ever saving that cake for all those years, because I'm sure it smelled pretty bad after a few weeks. The wolf, not satisfied with the single murder, paced around the tree in which Crookshanks and Harry were hiding. The cat and the bird were pretty scared, to say the very least. Peter was standing there crying like an idiot over the death of his pet duck when he decided to take action. He went back into the meadow and somehow managed to climb the tree that the bird and cat weren't in and then jumped from that tree into the other tree that they were in. And then he persuaded the bird to go out and make fun of the wolf for no reason at all. So Harry flew around the wolf's face, pooping all over him as birds do. He was, although he wasn't about to admit it to anyone, really upset about the death of the one he loved. There was actually little the wolf could do about this, but be distracted long enough for Peter to tie a rope around the wolf's tail. Yes. Naturally, the wolf was livid. He began shouting all sorts of swear words that Peter never heard before in his life. Peter was almost shaken up to the point of tears, but he was still pissed off about the death of his friend, so cleverly he tied the other end of the rope to the tree. With the wolf safely incapacitated, Peter and his friends left the scene. Later, some hunters came to clean up the wolf. There were maybe four of them, and they were named James, Charles, Oliver Cromwell, and James. Typically, children are told that the wolf was taken to the zoo, but really, uh, he moved to a farm upstate. The air was better for him up there, you know. And I guess that's it. For more information about wolves, be sure to check your local public library. The private ones don't care for visitors, after all. Alright, and thank you for listening to the the first ever episode of the Nothing But Wolves podcast, and I invite you to keep listening to the rest of the episodes we make after this one. Even if you didn't like this one, you might like another one. And tell all your friends, if you want them to keep liking you, tell them about this, because if they find out about it and they find out that you knew about it and didn't tell them, they might not be pleased with you. So, keep listening. And keep listening to the next song, which you're gonna, I'm going to play us off with. Um, this last song is called Shoelaces. I'm your host, Boo Radley, and goodbye.
Thank you.